0: Welcome to the International Classroom Podcast, where we explore the world of education through a global lens. As a teacher, you know that every student has unique needs, experiences and perspectives. And we believe that a global perspective is key to creating an inclusive and effective classroom. In each episode, we bring you insights and discussions from experts and educators around the world, sharing their experiences, challenges and solutions in the classroom. Whether you're a student, a teacher, or anyone interested in education, we invite you to join us on this learning journey.
1: In February of last year, but we have actually been in the region for five years. So we did before that have a campus in Academic City, just 10 minutes away from where we currently are. Call them teacher training within their own right. It's not actually correct. They're actually teacher education programs. The four as well. So colleagues that may not have the confidence you know is that is a it's a chicken and egg situation um competence and confidence
0: now before we get into today's episode make sure to follow us on your favorite streaming sites to stay up to date on our latest episodes if you're watching this on deep teaching on youtube and you've yet to please subscribe we've been fortunate enough to have some fantastic guests on so please do share this with your colleagues and friends and let us know who you'd like us to speak with next. All right, I am um, joined in today's episode by Nishaba. Um, very simply, I'm going to kick this off. It's a question I ask everyone very well. I'm very predictable with this. It is who who are you and what do you do?
1: Great, thanks, Alex. Um, so my name is Nishaba Anbreen. I'm an assistant professor in education at the University of Birmingham, Dubai. I run teacher training programs including the IQTS program here at the University of Birmingham, Dubai, which is a part of the, a major global pilot. And I'm also the campus academic digital lead as well and currently pursuing my PhD halfway through.
0: Fantastic. Thank you. Um, IQTS. Uh, what's that?
1: So most um, most people will be familiar with QTS, which is Qualified Teacher Status. And the I at the front just stands for international or internationalization of IQTS, which is International Qualified Teacher Status. Um, And essentially, it's um, the exporting of teacher training from England um, to outside of the UK um, to kind of bring that high quality teacher training provision um, in a more broader sense uh, globally. Um, and so that we can train teachers internationally now, um, and then they can move back to the UK, and it's directly transferable to QTS qualified teacher status.
0: Amazing. I mean, that was going to be my follow up question because obviously the I part in front of it might worry some people and go, "Oh, is it different? Can I transfer it? Can I do this?" But you've kind of answered my question there and said, "No, fully transferable." Um, I assume then it's as good as, if not better, sometimes as, as actually training in the UK.
1: Well, actually, the Department of Education passed a, a bill whereby they said that the you know IQTS is directly transferable to QTS, but coming with IQTS or QTS because it's the equivalent is a certain level of standards and rigor. Um, so, any provider that wishes to deliver IQTS currently must have a good or outstanding rating in an equivalent program for QTS um, in in the UK, and that's one of the conditions um so it is really a high quality teacher training and within IQTS are the expectations obviously for safeguarding for suitability meeting the core content framework for initial teacher training as well and also working towards the IQTS teacher standards which aren't that different um they're quite similar to the QTS teacher standards
0: and some people listening or watching this might go ah oh, it's like a typical international thing. You've just put your name, you put your name on the building, but really there's no correlation with Birmingham university. Um, does that stand the test or is there something different about it?
1: In terms of our delivery, um, I'd say we've got a huge USP because we we do have an international campus that's permanent. We're here to stay in the region. It's our fifth year in the UAE. So most um, individuals probably know about our new campus that opened in February of last year. But we have actually been in the region for five years. So we did before that have a campus in academic city just 10 minutes away from where we currently are um, and our deliveries again very unique um, we're an in-person provider we're an MOE accredited Russell Group University so I think that brings with it a, a certain kind of edge um, that other providers uh, may not be able to offer uh, through lack of a campus or lack of in-person teaching facility um, and I think also our contacts within the region with these uh, school partners that we have we have a range of uh, school partnerships across 70 different schools um, in the UAE and that kind of brings in these expert practitioners and collaborators which again adds value to the program uh, and it, again that mirrors what we deliver in in the UK the, 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 the branch campus which is in the UK in Itch-Baston. Um so essentially what we deliver here in Dubai isn't much different um, to that in the UK except we will contextualise some of the content for different curricula so obviously in the UAE you've got a, a far wider range of curricula on offer it's not just aligned to the British national curriculum um, and I think that the very transient nature of teaching in the UAE means that we kind of have to add a level of resilience into our teachers when we're training them uh, and I think that's what we add here um, but but definitely the Birmingham kind of trajectory is still there. Uh, and we largely mirror what we do in the UK campus as well.
0: Yeah, there this, this seems to be a recurring theme on this podcast at the moment where it just coincidentally happened to get people on who are kind of close to where I'm from in the world. So I'm not too far from Birmingham um, in terms of where I'm from. I'm Litchfield. We've had this conversation previously. But for those people out there, I know about Birmingham University in the UK. Um, for those people out there listening or watching, maybe never heard of Birmingham in the UK, would you classify, I mean, how would you classify Birmingham university in the UK?
1: Oh yeah. I mean, when people think of Birmingham, they think of the Peaky Blinders, don't they nowadays?
0: <laughs> and it's, it's, actually a lot
1: it. it's more than just the Peaky Blinders. We we have more canals in Venice, but it's more than just that. It's an extremely vibrant, dynamic city, um, Britain's second city, that's what they call it. And I'd actually go far, as far as saying it's the cultural capital. Um, uh, I'm not biased at all, but it's where I'm, I was born and I was raised. And I'm actually alum from, I'm alumni from the University of Birmingham. Um, if you can tell or not. Um, but yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's one of the most vibrant cities, um, irrespective of where I have traveled, um, in my teaching career and where it's taken me, um, I'm always kind of brought back to Birmingham um, and that's where my roots are. And it's definitely somewhere that's, you know, rooted in industry, um, You know, if you think back to, um, you know, the Nobel Prize winners that are kind of uh, known from Birmingham, a lot of the musical acts that kind of uh, come out from Birmingham as well. It's kind of a hub for creativity. And we definitely try and uh, and foster that in the Dubai campus. We're getting there. It's only a startup. So only five years in. Um, But we're definitely trying to merge and and encourage a little bit of cross pollination between the two. Campuses or, or campi—I don't know what the plural is, but yeah.
0: I, I have no idea. I think you may have just created a word there, and if you had, that's going to stick. um Yeah, uh, I think Birmingham, Birmingham University, to just to, to elaborate a little bit around there for people watching and listening, it's like a phenomenal university based in the UK, and to have those links and crossovers, knowing that you're going to get people like yourself trained taught went there alumni coming over here i think that's a huge coup and one of the things you did miss off by the way chocolate gotta remember cadbury
1: Cadbury's World, yeah Cadbury's sure. world.
0: I, t- I took my kids there in the summer when we went back and they'd never been before and as soon as you step off the train train goes through it you can see it you can just smell the chocolate coming straight from the factory so of all those wonderful things that you've mentioned chocolate is also one of them um and of that lovely city you're currently back there at the moment aren't you
1: I am, yeah. I was actually back in the UK for the BET conference in London, where we were exhibiting as part of the Ministry of Education stand. So we're the only um, international university that was there as part of their stand. And we were exhibiting to kind of showcase emerging um, technologies that are being used in education systems in the UAE and the willingness of the UAE to engage Um, with other providers, other services, um, and really network um, with what's current in in EdTech. So it was quite interesting. It was very overwhelming. Um, Really, really productive three days. And I'm back in Birmingham now.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, I only saw photos photos of it across Twitter, across LinkedIn, mainly across Twitter. Um, It seemed like the AI stand got a lot of traffic through it. Um, which kind of suits in terms of where we're at at the moment, isn't it? But uh, did you enjoy it? Did you enjoy it though?
1: I did for sure. I mean, it was it was overwhelming. And um, when you went into the teaching and learning hall, and and you know we're, we're teachers, right? So we're in all we're walking around. You're just looking at all these stores stalls, and you're, and you're stopping by everyone, and you're looking at opportunities. You're seeing everything as an opportunity in your classroom, like any true teacher would. Um, and, and that can be quite overwhelming. And I think just the realm of AI can come across as quite. Overwhelming for, for many people, not just for educators, but it was just really, um, impressive how quickly that the, the education industry has cottoned on to AI. And we've been using AI in education and, and applications for a while. Um, but to see so many and such a diversity of use, um, in such shorter space of time, I think, if you compare to previous tech conferences, I think was, was huge, but it was clear that AI underpinned pretty much everything that was there
0: yeah yeah, yeah. anything wow. uh, anything you're bringing back with you to the Birmingham campus
1: there's a couple of really interesting things around mentoring so I, I don't want to speak too soon or too much about that but um some really interesting platforms that really allow collaboration in a very different way in a very novel way uh, around mentoring communities of practice that's something that I definitely want to look into and there was also a couple of really um, really interesting people that I met from companies that are still developing tech and looking for ideas and, um, I should really be selling my ideas, to be honest with you, because the number of conversations that we had, and we said there's a huge niche here for teacher educators and teacher trainees, um, lots and lots of applications and programs uh, uh, for for students in school um, and, and for for learning kinds of uh, development. But I think there needs to be more in the way of teacher training, which we can definitely divulge into later, but. Definitely a couple of opportunities there, I think.
0: Okay. We'll try and pluck some of those ideas out of you later on. See if we can uh see how it goes so far. So obviously, this sounds it's fascinating, it's a dead exciting role. Um, and you mentioned earlier that obviously you taught a little bit, you moved around. So, how did you end up in the role that you're currently in?
1: So I am a qualified teacher, qualified science teacher, Alex, as you're aware. And I taught in the UK for around eight years. I was a head of year, head of year 11. Um, I was also a head of biology um, at a college in Stourbridge for a bit. And then I moved to Qatar when I was 29. I believe that was 2015, I'm giving away my age, um, to be head of science um, at a um, quite well-established school in um, Doha, in Qatar. And that was, again, quite a, a large role, quite a large number of staff, large number of students that obviously, as you're aware, take science as a subject, both at GCSE and also at A-level. Um, really enjoyed it. Loved every minute. Uh, loved teaching from 6 a.m. till uh, 2 p.m. when we'd finished teaching. And then afterwards, it was just, it's a vocation, I think. And, and when you really love it, uh, love every minute of it, it doesn't feel like work. And it, it was tough. Uh, And uh, of course, uh, by no means was it not a challenge, but it just flew by. I think the time just flew by when I was really, really thoroughly enjoying teaching. And then I saw an advert about an opportunity for a contribution to the new Dubai campus in 2018. So at the time, again, um, it was a very new idea from its inception, and it was only going to be a pop-up campus um, in academic city. And they were looking for teacher trainers or um, lecturers to deliver teacher education programs. And I saw the advert. It was my university that I graduated from. So I'm alumni Um, and obviously my home city as well that I have ties to. So I went for it and I saw it as a way of maximizing my impact Um, I never really say that I've left teaching because I can't, I can't bring myself to say that, to be honest. I've left classroom based teaching, um, which is difficult to be honest. Um, but again, it's about maximizing impact. And I saw, I saw teacher training and teacher education as a route to doing that
0: fantastic yeah it's people out there and myself included i'm really passionate about that it's something i'm fascinated in and and i think it has huge value like you say you mentioned the impact there that we have and uh you're the you're the first people they see these new teachers that come through wannabe teachers that come through you're their you're their first as i say i'm about to say mum. you're my first yeah. teacher mum. you know <laughs> in terms of that your your influence and effect on them is is vast isn't it? And, and so just out of curiosity, then I'm a new, I'm a, I'm a wannabe teacher. I come along to Birmingham university in Dubai as I'm toddling along now, my head shaking side to side. Tell us what's teacher training like in Dubai? What can we expect on the course?
1: I think, uh, again, teacher training, there are a number of programs um, that are delivered across the UAE. And I think I have to caveat this by saying that there's there's a huge difference between teacher training and teacher education. And I'm constantly educating people about the difference between teacher education and teacher training. Uh, and the teacher training term has been used very loosely, especially pre-IQTS. And I think we've got to be really transparent. Um and we have a civic duty as well as teachers and teacher educators to correct misconceptions, don't we? So teacher education are uh, con- continuing professional development programs, masters in education, um, academic based, but don't necessarily confer a teaching qualification at the end. A teaching qualification essentially is somewhat something that does confer um, an internationally or at least nationally recognized qualification, and that is QTS or IQTS. So if we're going to be technical, prior to 2022, when IQTS was launched, there were no teacher training programs in the UAE. We can't really call them teacher training. There can be a route to teacher training, so you can complete them uh, and then go on to do something like the assessment only route. Which again gives you QTS. Um, but to call them teacher training within their own right, it's not actually correct. They're actually teacher education programs. So I think I just, I, I did want to kind of mention that at the start because it's something that I'm constantly mentioning. Um, and so, yeah, what can you expect as a, as a student teacher on our teacher training programs? Well, the level of rigor, um, is still there. And, and, and like I said earlier, we mirror that. Um, in terms of what's delivered in the UK campus, which is why when our students graduate, they graduate with a degree from the University of Birmingham. Um, so it's exactly the same um, in terms of uh, academic rigour, academic requirement, uh, the research kind of led pedagogy and practice, the reflection that we encourage our students to take part in throughout the programme, not just at set points. Um, and that teacher trajectory that I talked about is made very explicit to our students um, in terms of the four phases and moving towards the questioning from the questioning trainee teacher all the way through to the independent trainee teacher. Um, And a lot of what we do is about relationships, building relationships in the classroom um, with your mentor, with your children, that obviously that you're teaching um, and with the parents as well. And I think that's deeply embedded within the programme. Um, as well as a relationship with me as, as a course tutor as well. Um, and it's a really interesting dynamic. So in terms of what they can expect, it's essentially a face to face in person program as at present. And we feel that that suits our current kind of market. And we're always looking at ways to expand and, and other avenues to take. Um, which I, you know, I'll talk about later in terms of the move towards more blended and online based teacher education, as well as flexible teacher training. So flexible teacher training, which means that it's around current work. So in service, our program is one of its kind. It's it's the only program that is in person for new trainees. Um, There are six providers of IQTS. And they have been since September 2022 as part of this pilot um, accredited by the Department of Education UK. From September of this year, there's a further eight that brings us up to 14 global providers of IQTS. We are still the only in-person full-time provider, um, which, again, is a huge USP for our students. uh, Small cohort, uh, very kind of community of practice orientated, um, very much collaborative Lots of gains there from in-person that you can't really replicate uh, in an online or blended environment, uh, particularly when it comes to classroom management, uh, aspects of um, collaborative group work, which are very different in a blended setting compared to in-person. Uh, that classroom movement is also super important as well. So I don't know if I answered your question, Alex, but... Um, Hopefully, I've sold my my program.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've definitely sold your program. I've got some. I've got two questions really from, from what you uh, your pitch, your USP, as it were. Um, you mentioned this one there, the flexible that's something that is obviously brand new and there's people out here from an international perspective you know listening and and my wife at one point was like oh you know she, she's a non-teacher so she is as we talk about the trailing partner we often see from international educators and she was like oh i get 30 days holiday you get all these summer holidays you get christmas you get spring break you get this i'm thinking about retraining and and that's maybe some people listening their partners might be in the same boat but it was always a case of well, I need to save up this amount. You've got to then. You're not going to be working for this period of time. You know, you're fully committed to the face to face. But this flexible program that you mentioned, could you tell us a little bit more about that, please?
1: For sure, yeah, and, and there's definitely a move towards that. So what we're looking to do is develop some of our programs to make them more flexible. Uh, whether you're new to teaching, whether you're an in-service uh, trainee teacher, fle- the flexibility kind of is a way of merging the academic calendar the IQTS teacher training calendar with work within schools. So essentially, it's school-centered initial teacher training. It's called the SKIT model. Um, it's the model that the majority of other IQTS providers are using. We tend to use um, the full-time model as, as a basis, since we started out with that and have been running that program successfully successfully for the last five years. So we decided to attach IQTS onto that full-time model. But this flexible model really allows these uh, new teachers to earn whilst they learn. And I think that's really key in the UAE. What I've definitely learned is that market for full-time teacher trainees is always going to be a limited one. So to leave your current uh, role um, if you have one or to take a sabbatical is very difficult for most people in the UAE to be studying at the same time as well and to not be earning. Um, and I think that's a huge challenge considering that our trainee teachers outside of the UK don't receive any bursary for training. Right. So they don't receive any extra kind of dividend or golden handshake or anything like that, irrespective of the subject or phase that they're training in. So I think given that and given the increasing cost of living and inflation, which is also uh, present um, in the UAE as well, we have to consider that. And again, I think we've got a duty of care to make sure that we are being flexible and accessible as a provider.
0: Yeah. I think it's a, it's innovative isn't it in terms of how things have changed post pandemic it's a it's an in- innovative way to to consider like getting more teachers into the profession because you and i both know doesn't matter where you are in the world there is a there is a teacher shortage there are people leaving the profession for all sorts of myriads of reasons but from that from your side have you seen an uptake or a change in the number of applicants that you're having over these last few years
1: for sure and i think um that the bet conference kind of reinforced that to me only very recently that Teacher training is at the top of the agenda for most developed or developing countries. It's something that they definitely want to kind of get an angle on, definitely want to partner with existing provision that's high quality um, um, because they're seeing that with With tourism increasing in particular areas, an influx of expat communities will mean more schools and will mean more teachers that are needed in those regions so we're always going to need more teachers um in terms of our demographic of our students for sure there have been um there has been a bit of a shift in terms of numbers. Uh, I would definitely say that. Um, I would like to add that there's still a misconception amongst the applicant, the teacher training applicant community that the flexible nature of teacher training, which is being provided now means that the role is also extremely flexible. And I think that we've learned that it's not. Um, and we demonstrated that and we make our expectations really clear, Um, particularly in the UAE, you know, you're, as a student teacher, you will need to be at school at 7am and you will be expected to leave at 5pm. Um, and currently my students are, are doing that on an unpaid basis for a minimum of 120 days a year to meet the requirements for IQTS. Um, so I think again, that move towards that flexible model is going to probably increase the number of applicants even more because there's again a salaried route. It's, it's far more flexible and it's more achievable for more, for more people. But the, the kind of expectations have changed in terms of standards, academic standards, minimum requirements as well. So for IQTS, there are a number of different, um, Avenues that you have to kind of go through after achieving a conditional offer. So you've got to pass the suitability check. It's a fitness to practice program. So you've got to have a meeting with occupational health. You've got to pass the physical capacity to teach assessment. There are a number of different number of different checks and, and procedures that you have to go through after, um, you know, passing an interview, for example. Um, so the rigor rigor has definitely increased. I think the applications are increasing. um, Particularly as, like you said, Alex, um, there are more and more individuals seeing this as a career change option. And I've certainly noticed, at least in the last five years, that the The kind of the group the mixed grouping of our cohort it's much more varied in terms of there's more mature students i'd say um and and far more career changes later in their careers as opposed to earlier
0: yeah so you mentioned one thing about the applications there i think for the for those people listening and watching i want to apply for teach i want to i want to say i'm midlife i want to change i want to become a teacher um What would be sort of the basics then in terms of, let's think academics, let's think qualifications-wise, I'm going to need just to to pass through the first door, as it were?
1: So the minimum requirements in terms of academic requirements are a bachelor's degree, a minimum of good standing of 2-2, upper second, uh, lower second, a minimum. Uh, but the majority of our applicants do have an upper second or even a master's. Now, if you do have a 2 that shouldn't deter you from qualifying. Um, we still have a large number of students that apply uh, with uh, that kind of uh, qualification and, and they may have additional experience, which kind of adds um, to their merit, their academic merit. So there is that requirement of a bachelor's degree because it's a postgraduate secondary education or primary education programme. In addition to that, for IQTS, you must have that fundamental English. Now that can be assured by way of your bachelor's being delivered in the medium of English, or you might have a additional qualification, so either a GCSE or equivalent at grade C or, or four in today's um numbering system um, in the UK curriculum or equivalent, obviously. And then also um, that can be taken up to uh, taking an IELTS exam, for example, there needs to be a minimum of 6.5 because it is an academic program. So you do need that strong academic merit in terms of English. So that's the kind of basic requirement. And then for primary programs, there is a, a requirement to also have a, a GCC or high school equivalent in science or a science subject. So it needs to be, again, um, a C, a low C or a a grade four in the UK grading um, of of current GCSE. And then also a maths as well, uh, a grade four or C. So those are the minimum kind of academic requirements that that must be met prior to application.
0: Yeah, I remember doing mine. It was like I went to Loughborough um, and I luckily we did the PGC there in science so I could stay. um, And I remember applying for it and it was just an interview interview with the two guys that ran the science program. I think design like talked me through some stuff about the heart, blah, blah, blah. And it was like, yeah, it's fine. And that was it on. I mean, we're talking what well, we're now almost 20 years ago. That was yeah. for me. And obviously it sounds like things have changed just a little bit since then. Yeah. But, uh, I'm interested in this cause this is one of the misconceptions that we've had. I was speaking with my other co-host about this, um, regarding being able to get an MOE sort of, uh, license as it were for the subjects you teach, So we have people that apply for jobs and go, I want to, I'm, I'm teaching English in the UK, but my degree is in business. Mm. So one of the things we find, and you may be able to clear this up for us and obviously going through it is if you are someone who has a degree in one subject, but you are teaching another, are you going to be able to come out to Dubai or internationally and be able to teach that subject if your degree is in a different subject?
1: That is such a good question, Alex. And it's something that I, I probably can't answer directly because things are changing. They're changing uh, across the UAE, especially with, you know, the enforcement of the teacher licensor. And when, um, it comes to attestation of your, um, your, your PGCE or your teaching qualification and then looking back to your bachelor's degree, that is being looked at. So, Again, I'm I'm totally aware of, um, you know, friends of mine that may have been law graduates went on to teach English, or and that's slightly related, but they're not. But then when you think of other subjects, such as maths for physicists or maths degree went on to teach physics, there's a bit more correlation there. As a rule of thumb, what I'm finding is that in secondary, and this is where it really applies to, in secondary where you are teaching that subject in a secondary school, your bachelor's should have the majority of credits within that subject area, at least 80%. So if you are teaching um chemistry, for example, in a secondary school, your bachelor's degree should have at least 80% credits that are geared towards um, chemistry. And that tends to be a, a general rule of thumb here. Now, that doesn't mean to say that you know, you, you could be in a school right now and, and, and maybe teaching a particular subject, but not have the bachelor's in that degree. And that is happening. It's also happening in the UK because you've got lots of non-specialists teaching other subjects, um, because of shortages of teachers, right? So there's that kind of awareness of the fact that we've got this gap and we've got lots of non-specialists that are filling that gap. But when it comes to, Applying for a specific role, for example, a maths teacher or a chemistry teacher, those are the kinds of things that uh, recruiters, heads of subject uh, will look for. They will look at your bachelor's. And and again, I'd say it's in particular for secondary subjects because you're teaching the subject knowledge at a slightly higher level. Um, and you do need to have that kind of academic backing at, uh, within your bachelor's.
0: Okay. Yeah. That's good to know. Cause again, and we get asked this question a lot when we're doing interviews and people reach out to us and it's like, hang on, you're not going to be able to. So, and as you say, things are changing and Dubai is, uh, yeah. it's constantly changing, isn't it? It's always, always going through motions and as I say, IQTS is not even a year old now. So to have that, you know, within the space of five years with you guys being here, there, there could be further changes afoot, which is good. Um, Okay. So from there, I've I've gone through, I'm interested. And obviously, we we both obviously teach the best subject there is, um, which is not just even science, it's biology. Just in case anyone listening wants to debate that, which I'm sure lots of people will. But let's just say for the sake of this, I'm interested in doing a different subject. I don't know why you would, but just in case. Um, What sort of different subjects is it that you guys offer on your QTS, your IQTS course?
1: So currently, the... IQTS program is phase specific for primary, so 5 to 11, which is generalist. Um, we are looking to develop and, and reignite some of our previous programs. So we had a PGC secondary science. Uh, Secondary mathematics and also secondary English, and the secondary science again would qualify you uh, from age eleven to sixteen. So eleven to fourteen would be all subjects across Key Stage three, and then you'd specialise in biology, chemistry, and physics according to your degree uh, class, uh, your your degree subject uh, at bachelor's level. So those are the ones that we are looking to introduce um, in the next couple of years. I'm always looking for ideas or inspiration or looking to do a bit of market research. And I've had so many uh, potential applicants reach out to me and, and and they're an unqualified business teacher, for example, or they're an unqualified uh, d and teacher and what i'm looking to do in the you know going back to this flexibility um kind of model and element that you spoke about earlier alex is is moving away from something that is is solely a subject specific kind of program so whilst we still want to have that that subject specialism it's very important there are there are ways to deliver secondary teacher training programs whereby you can broaden your kind of depth of experience across the subjects so say you're placed in a school as part of a secondary PGCE programme and you have a mentor who's supporting you with a bit of chemistry, but you also see yourself as potentially um, post-16 being able to teach a bit of physics, perhaps you completed some extra credits in psychology, in your biology degree, and you're willing to do a bit of psychology as well. There should be no reason as to why you cannot pursue that, uh, you know, alongside your teacher training, where you gain that experience in that curriculum and teaching in that kind of field. Now, to pursue that further, you would need to build on your subject knowledge. And perhaps there's there's a there's a niche there for subject knowledge enhancement courses which aren't really that huge here in the UAE. There's definitely a gap there. But I think again, I think being able to offer more than one subject at secondary, it really is key. Um, I think it's definitely important in terms of you know adding more experience to your C V, but also um in terms of making making sure that your career prospects are are kind of always there.
0: Yeah, kind of building on this idea of career prospects is takes us back to this idea of career development, or what we call teacher development. So, getting trying to get my terms right now. So, in terms of teacher education, hopefully that's yeah. right. <laughs> um, that's <great.
1: laughs>
0: I mean, you mentioned it earlier as well, and we talked about it going. Look, that's a, I think that's a big driving force. What are you guys at Birmingham University currently offering, or what are you hoping to be able to offer that maybe extends into this idea of CPD for both primary and secondary?
1: Brilliant. So our current portfolio of, of programs, Alex, includes, I mentioned earlier, master's programs in education. So we have a master's in learning and teaching, a master's in educational leadership, and also a master's in inclusion, special education needs as well, MA&I. So, so we have three master's programs that essentially are continuing professional development in the academic sense um, for anybody that's working in a school or in a school setting and wants to pursue that further further and they want to pursue uh, try and kind of embed some current research into their pedagogy and practice. And that's a way that you can do that, again, flexibly because they're part time. um, So they're really suitable for in-service teachers uh, and and professionals and educators. So that's the, the three MA programs. We also have a PGCEI. Now, our PGCEI is slightly different. It's not a teacher training program, as I mentioned, with the PGCE primary IQTS program. Our PGCEI program currently is more like the academic route into teacher training. So it's an academic qualification. It's three modules, again, embedded uh, with with theory, um, underpinned by your practice as well in your own context. So we've got a number of different students on that PGCEI program and who may be using that as their own professional development they may or may not wish to pursue a teacher training qualification afterwards. Um, but in its own right, it's considered a continuing professional development academic programme. Um, and it's a 60 credit M level programme, which is recognised by the Ministry of Education. So they can use that as a route to teacher training, by the way. So if you complete our PGCEI, you can complete the assessment only route. Um, to kind of assure, uh, and assess your practice and then achieve QTS in a BSO accredited or British school overseas accredited school.
0: Get your lingo right there. Got to get yep. the jargon out. So you're at the forefront of it there. And obviously we're talking about BET and, and talking about, uh, what we want from teacher training. So, you know, if you got, you got your wish, what type of things would you like to see generally or Birmingham university, um, What are the types of things that you would like to see happening in this region regarding not just teacher training, but teacher development, teacher education?
1: I would definitely say that given this uh, increasing role that technology is playing, not just in the classroom, but also in teacher development. If that was embedded within competencies in teacher training uh, and teacher CPD, that would be great. I, I don't feel like there's enough of it right now. And I feel that as teachers, we're doers and we will learn and we will find out and we will be resourceful. Um, I don't think that's always the best way, however, to learn because we tend to learn in silos and in isolation. Um, And we're really good at picking new things up, which is brilliant. But I think definitely some more learning from each other when it comes to ed tech would be brilliant. So maybe some communities of practice and teach meets are based around ed tech um, is definitely a need here. I think particularly within the region where you have some really great expert practitioners and innovators um, across ed tech. And I think we could definitely do with some kind of a symposium or bringing together of all of that experience. Um, You know, you often are. In awe of what you see on on social spaces like LinkedIn or, or Instagram or Twitter, and and you hear a lot going on, and there's such a buzz. And I think there is some merit in in bringing that buzz um, into a more tangible space to talk about that. So that's that I think would be the first step in formalizing. digital pedagogy, which is again, it's a basis of my PhD research. Um, and there are a number of different countries, um, professional bodies, uh, including, you know, UNICEF also have looked into digital competency. And digital confidence. Um, but I think we're within the UK, at least we're slightly behind in terms of firming that up and increasing a bit more accountability when it comes to digital confidence. And I, I think sometimes accountability is a bit of a dirty word, but when it comes to digital, I, I don't think that can be ignored.
0: No, I agree. Uh, One of the guys in the last episode I spoke with is a guy called Leon Furs. And I thought he was a full Australian, by the way, but he's not. He's from Um, Stoke-on-Trent. So, um, But he's he's doing his PhD literally on AI education and, and connecting. So he's kind of, what I would say, is really at the forefront of this. And he spoke a lot about ethics, about the understanding of ethics, and not just in AI, but, you know, take it a step further, what we bring into the classroom. And it kind of reinforces the point you're saying about that, not just about obviously AI ethics and understanding it, but you also ask the question of does our pedagogical practice, does our training need to change? And with the, the scaling of technology and how fast it's moving AI as well, you kind of seeing that actually yeah that there does need to be a shift or a slight change not just in, in teacher training teacher education and and how we can utilize those things so yeah having those sort of teach meets and communities where you can share those would be a great idea
1: yeah i mean given that it's the digital learning the role that is playing it's just leading the way in schools isn't it, at the moment yeah. um at the present and also into the future and i think just digital pedagogy, digital learning and teaching. It can be a, a really huge factor in terms of raising student engagement, interaction, um, widening access, helping children attain at higher levels. And I, I think what we're missing is the digital skills that are required to be able to access that information. So, so our children who are digital natives might be second nature to them. Um, but I think that gap between educators And I have to say, in particular, educators at university and our children in schools. um, I I think the pandemic only just put the spotlight on that in terms of how wide that gap is. Um, And with the onset of even more applications and and, and uses of AI, I think that's even I I think that's widened further. If I'm being honest, it's it's such a huge uh, digital skills gap. Um, And it's what we're doing. Um, with with within teacher training as well to build capacity within our teachers uh, and our teacher educators.
0: Yeah, there's a couple of things you mentioned there. Just to unpack a little bit, so we get this common common wording and understanding of it. You mentioned digital pedagogy. What what do you mean by that?
1: I think pedagogy, as it's applied to the classroom in the traditional sense, um, is is a process of of teaching and learning. It's a theory behind the the learning and teaching. It's it's the how of of the learning and teaching. Um, It's always been very easy to unpack in a physical setting. So when we talk about the pedagogy behind questioning and building in higher order skills and Blooms is slightly outdated now, but how we kind of increase that level of challenge and how we use strategies to bounce questions across the classroom, what that looks like in a digital or even in a remote or blended setting is very different. Uh, And replicating that in a digital setting is also very different so having the skills to be able to question effectively when you're online in an online setting um, requires a, a kind of different level of pedagogy and understanding um, same applies to grouping and, and and constructivism for example again something that's very easy to do physically within a classroom when you're arranging groups online um, yes for sure we can have breakout rooms on on teams and zooms but does it do the same thing and and can we monitor it in the same way no is that a bad thing not necessarily as long as we know about the difference in terms of how we approach that uh, in a blended setting um and we know that it's different we recognize that it's different but what we're doing differently and more importantly most importantly what skills are being developed within the group work itself and is that any different because if that's not different Perhaps that approach needs to be tailored for an online setting. But what the gain is for the students in terms of that collaboration may be the same. Um, but it is difficult to replicate a lot of pedagogies online. And I think having an awareness of that. So knowing what behavior management looks like in person and how that might need to be tailored or adapted online is really important. And that's the basis behind digital pedagogy as well. And I don't think you can be effective at at digital pedagogy um, without having the technical skills. So it's a combination of that. It's that TPCK model, isn't it? It's that combination of the technical skills combined with the pedagogical skills and also the knowledge as well that you have uh, acquired uh, as a teacher, as an educator, and what you want to impart onto your students.
0: So I'm going to play devil's advocate here for a second, because I didn't read the full poster of Swords I think it was called The Ghost Student. I don't know if you came across this. And it was, uh, yeah, it was uh, just to elaborate for those. It was obviously regarding the, the drop off of students post-pandemic who have actually not even returned to the classroom. Um, which in some ways, obviously what you say rings true. If we're not going to have students returning to the classroom, but we still need to put them through education, we want them, we need them to obviously still be getting the same effective, outstanding you know, impactful type of teachings so that they can learn and they don't fall behind their peers. And at the same time, it's the knock on effect that's also has within the classroom because you see these diminishing numbers, you see the drop off in social skills of students being able to just literally communicate and collaborate and interact with one another. So it's a fine balance, isn't it? In terms of where we're at at this moment in time.
1: It definitely is. And it kind of does require a lot more from educators. So the role of a teacher has certainly changed, hasn't it? From the stage on the stage to the facilitator. And the role of the teacher as a facilitator was something that was being thrown around two decades ago. Um, You know, when we moved to more student-centered teaching, for sure, at least two or three decades ago. But now with the advent of even more tech in the classroom, that role is changing again. So you know, as teachers, we, we, we wear many hats all the time. And I think this is, it is another hat that we're going to have to wear in terms of how are we going to keep our students engaged? How are we going to make them want to participate? Um, and want to keep their camera on and want to engage with their peers and, and, and come in and show up. Um, and, and really that comes down to letting them take ownership for their learning. Um, I think in consideration of this digital divide between our students, um, and us as educators, what we've got to recognize is the skill set of some of our students is huge when it comes to all things digital. So some of the things that they can do with tech, and I'm not just yeah. talking about TikTok, uh, <laughs> I'm talking about other things that they can do with recording, um, you know, with, with, with using, um, technology in the most engaging way, we should be monopolizing on that. We should be making use of that in the classroom and, and, and saying, do you know what? You, you show us, show and tell, um, you do it because clearly you know what you're doing here with the tech, let's work together to try and integrate that into learning experiences. And we're probably not doing enough of that. So empowering our students is something that we could definitely take, I think, in terms of our new roles as, as educators and as teachers.
0: Yeah. I think we're seeing that shift now, aren't we, in terms of, again, not just about digital strategy, digital policy, and again, going back to a previous episode about AI policies in terms of we want our students to incorporate, we want them to be developing these skills. And it just reinforces the point you said that if in my classroom, I want my students to develop different types of tech skills, I as a teacher need to have some level of fundamental understanding about this. And PD isn't quite, yeah, that isn't quite there yet. (laughs) I mean, there's a few of us, isn't there? If you're involved in this niche, like, you know, we are, and we're interested in technology and digital skills, you kind of find yourself within the same bubble of people and you think everyone's talking about it. The fact is they're not, you know, we've got probably, I reckon still less than, where are we going for now? I reckon maybe 20%, 20% of teachers know what chat GPT is, have used it, can use it. I've got students that some that do, and then it's like, but there's still these misconceptions that it's all right. I'll use chat GPT over Google. And it's like, guys, um, that only goes up to 2021. You know that. And they're like, really? Because certain social medias or things you see on TikTok, it's misinformation of of what it puts out there. However, the skills required, you know, bearing in mind what we're less than even six months, six months into the use of it in terms of in the mainstream, it's like, this is here to stay. You know, and the skill sets we want our students to have are going to come from teachers having those skill sets. And let's be honest, there is a generation of teachers out there who don't have those skills. And at some point, i are like, well, I'm not interested in learning that. My teaching is my teaching. As long as they pass maths, as long as they get the A's and A stars in maths, and they do, why do I need to change how I teach? And that, in some ways, is going to fall on the exam boards who go, well, actually, we're going to change our examinations and assessments now, you know, and they're going to have to have these digital skills. I mean, we've seen and potentially when the MOE and DSIB change the framework we've got here, blended learning, digital skills, all these things... They're going to be in there, aren't they? It's going to be high on the agenda.
1: And I think for for us as educators, we have to. We're always reflecting, right? But we've we've got to also reflect on where do we really sit on that fear versus opportunity spectrum when it comes to to ed tech and and developing and emerging ed tech. And I think you're right, Alex. I think that. We do live in a bit of a bubble in terms of those that do engage, um, with the tech and, and those that don't. And I think it, a lot of what we're doing is about bringing, and, and a lot of my research is also to do with bringing others into the fore as well. So colleagues that may not have the confidence, you know, is that, is a, it's a chicken and egg situation, um, competence and confidence. So one affects the other, for example, but which comes first? Um, it, it could be argued that that those academics and those educators and teachers that are on the fear end of the spectrum will stick to familiarity, which is to not use the tech and to you know be the sage on the stage and just to stick with paper based resources, etc. Because you know that's that's what they know, um, and and there's there's always been a fear of change, isn't there? In, in any industry, and I think it's just bringing people with you and and, and showing people that. We can use this technology to make things more efficient. Um, we can use this to kind of increase bounds and learning multiple times uh, over in comparison to current uh, strategies that you're using. So when people see the benefits of it, it kind of outweighs the fear. Uh, and I think that's where we need to get to, which we, you know relates back to your previous point, Alex, about that lack of, I think, CPD for or, or professional development to actually encourage those that are not engaging with the tech to engage with the technology
0: yeah definitely it's something i'm really mindful of and i'm wanting to push through at the moment um from my side in my school because even my kids i and my my own kids and kids in the school as soon as they find out it's like you're on tiktok it's like yeah it's like so you've got a podcast it's like yeah and they 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 kind of in their heads don't realize that You know, even they just see it was old and it's like, we, you you shouldn't have the skills to do this. And it's like, you have to remind us, look guys, the internet's my generation, not yours. You you know, I, I was born before that. I know what, you know, what it's like before these things and, you know, startup motors, all these different noises that you hear. And it's like, I learned to use this. And I say to them, I can still use the internet better than you can. I, I know more about this than you do. And in terms of podcast, video editing, all these things, it's like I went and learned how to do it. So it's that for them, it should be a model that goes, doesn't matter how old you are. If you're interested, you can go and learn it. The technology, YouTube, all these different things is there for you to go and learn, but they still find it amazing. It's like, so you know how to do this? It's like, yeah, because their yeah. social view of what an almost 40 year old teacher should be able to do is not this. Yeah. And, and, and that's then in terms of the skill sets we have in teachers and the expectations we have of them. And there are other things that they can, you know, teachers do, but the expectations our students have regarding these types of skill sets is, is very low. I think at the moment yeah. on teachers, when it comes to gaming, I remember speaking with uh, Philip ride on a previous episode, he was just like, look, don't expect to be the master of this because you won't be when it comes to games and my own kids are proof in that in terms of all the different things they know about games, all these different things. I've got no idea. But in terms of the utilization of it, they have no idea. Yeah. They, they, have, they have no idea how these types of things can benefit them in that respect. But it, it kind of just goes back to everything we've said so far is PD, CPD for teachers, teachers education and incorporating technology, technology skills um, into it. Cause yeah. I mean, even from, I remember passing the qts standards do your english test do your math test and it was like an ict test and that was it um i think uh, yeah come in the years to come we're going to see some big changes aren't we
1: yeah for sure i think it's it's very base level at the moment in terms of the digital competency and uh, the, the standards that are required in terms of you see, you see the word innovation thrown around quite often um you know, in, and, and that kind of is a bit of a bugbear of mine because what does that really mean? And then if you are innovating, what are you really doing? Because it doesn't necessarily mean using tech or using it effectively either. Um, and, and I've seen that thrown around quite a lot, but it, it's just a shame that it isn't really incorporated into the teacher training core contract and frame, framework as much as we'd like. But then it's down to us as, as teacher educators, as educators and teachers to kind of embed that in everything that we do. Um, to always, you know, caveat what we do with, with how we can do this digitally. And, 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 you know, the, the pandemic did come around and, and surprise us all, but there's no reason why something like that can't happen again. And it does seem like at post pandemic, we've kind of reverted back to our non digital ways in some respects, which is a bit disappointing. Uh, again, I think that's down to comfort and it's down to confidence or, or lack of as well. Um, and look, I think, I think using words like confidence and competence particularly by the, the nature of my research it can be quite isolating and it's, it's quite sensitive um using those kinds of terms um because nobody particularly um you know very enthusiastic and and uh, inquiring teachers want to be uh, labeled as, as not being confident or not having competency. But then it comes back to the whole accountability piece that I spoke about earlier, that uh, unless you do some kind of an audit uh, of your skill set and you know or you don't know where you know your gaps are, um, you, you can't really move forward. And I think that's the first step, isn't it, in, in terms of enforcing any kind of change or development. You've got to recognize your strengths and weaknesses. Um, and that does come from saying, I am confident in, I'm not very confident in this um, and, and a lot of what we do when we share good practice in schools is you know we match those that are really skilled in a particular area with those which might have a, a gap in an area, and again it's it's forming those communities of practice, which I'm really, really keen to do.
0: Yeah, you mentioned that I've done in my research this idea of transfer of knowledge in terms of from the expert to the novice um and there needs to be we're quite fortunate within dubai there are some guys out there like the collab uae guys we've got ones coming up who are really looking to do that and it would be good if we can get more schools or institutions on board with specifically trying to do that um because we say it's not going to slow down is it it's it's going to be here for the long run
1: for sure yeah and i think also another point to note is i think the longer that you are in a higher ed classroom you know being a An academic in in university, the longer that you're there, the more removed you can become from the classroom as a teacher educator. Uh, And I think that's a really important point to note um, that I often see myself as um, a non-classroom based educator, but then still wanting to keep a foot in the classroom. I think that's so important. And a lot of my role um, involves being abreast of current kind of emerging trends in education, also the theory, but also what's going on in classrooms, uh, particularly within the UAE, where it's so varied, such a varied diet of learning and teaching activities that you've just got to be aware of of, of what's happening to be able to talk from a position of credibility Um, but I do think that the longer you are away from the classroom the more removed you can become from that bubble Um, which is you know unfortunate in a way but again that's where again I've said it about five times communities of practice in these kinds of areas are definitely the way forward
0: Well, you're more than welcome to come and take one of my classes whenever you want. A level biology, GCSE biology. Come in.
1: I miss it so much. I miss miss teaching photosynthesis. I miss teaching respiration. You know, the really nitty gritty A level biology, tricky stuff. Um, I love it.
0: Well, the the offers, you think I'm joking, the offer's always there
1: i'm there i'm there next week and it's
0: after easter all right you know what i really enjoyed speaking with today thank you thank you so much for coming on and speak to us on the international classroom podcast um i'm sure the people listening or watching you know for those who are potentially interested in getting into teaching or maybe on the fence or those people who've just kind of started out their journey into being a teacher lots of good takeaways from that so again thank you ever so much for joining us today
1: Thanks so much for your time, Alex. And yeah, I absolutely love what I do. I love teacher training and I love teaching as a profession. So if anybody does want to reach out to me, I'm more than happy to offer impartial advice. I won't be biased towards Birmingham, I promise. <laughs>
0: um, okay. On that then, if people do want to reach out to you, if people want to learn more about those at Birmingham University or just ask questions, where can they find you?
1: So you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Nishaba Ambreen, which I think I'll be, I'll be tagged within this uh, podcast while I, uh, Alex, and then you You can find my details there. Um, And then I'll I'll connect with you um, offline as well. And I can send you some details about our upcoming open days. But again, if you want that impartial chat, just drop me a message on LinkedIn LinkedIn, and, and we can definitely connect.
0: Awesome. Thank you ever so much. Really appreciate it. Enjoy your time in the beautiful city that is Birmingham.
1: Thanks,
0: Alex. Take care. Bye. Take care. Bye. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the International Classroom Podcast. I hope that our discussion has provided you with some valuable insights and perspectives on education from around the world. If you've enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your favourite streaming platform to stay up to date on our latest episodes. If you've got any feedback or any comments or suggestions for future topics, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us on our website or on our social media channels. Remember, guys, education is a lifelong journey and we're excited to continue exploring the world of education with you. So don't forget to subscribe and we will see you in the next episode of The International Classroom.